uh, in response to your comment, JJ, I will just say, because I don't want to explain this in the group chat because it's too long. Uh, so the MK1 selling point is that MK11 ended the MK timeline and started a new timeline, right? Right, yeah. I mean, so, technically, Aftermath ended all of that, I think. I, think I guess. MK11 DLC, anyway. Uh, so MK1 but, is supposed to be a reset of the universe. And when I was watching trailers at Comic-Con, I was like, this is really weird. There's a lot of stuff in here I still don't understand. It turns not, out... It's not uh, actually. It's not a, yeah, it's not a reset. It's a... It, they play it like it is for the first part of it, and it's super duper not. It's super duper duper just not. follows on. Yep, yep. So uh, that really was like, man, I don't know. Now you know I'm kind of out now. <laughs> I got other stuff. MK is not high on my list of things. Yeah. I have watched now probably most of the campaign of both of those games through streamers and stuff, and it's cool oh, where the story okay. goes. But like, I don't know that I need to play it. You know? Okay. Yeah, they almost got me with the Omni Man. You know, they I knew that would me. be that's that's pretty great. Yeah, a, a bunch of their other DLCs are cool too. It's uh, Homelander, yeah, Peacemaker, cool. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of HBO stuff in there. Yeah, there's some other stuff coming. Yeah, pretty great. Three hundred and seventy-six episodes. We were gamers. We're talking about games already. I did not have a chance to play F Zero Ninety Nine. I'm just going to get that out of the way right off the bat. And what are we even doing here? So that's the end of the podcast. Yeah. See you later. We'll talk about it next. My week. disappointment even is immeasurable. That is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Last week was interesting. Hope uh, it looks like everything's working this week. My uh, JJ and I checked it ahead of time, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, You know, I want to do something new on this podcast. I want to do it regularly. Are you guys ready? All about the new. Unprepared, you're going to answer a retro question. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily about a retro game, but it's going to be, this is inspired by you, Michael. Uh, I spent, I spent this past few minutes before you got on here debating with uh, my spouse whether or not I do anything that makes me old. Uh, the only thing we could come up with is that I espouse to people to read the local newspaper thing that exists in our neighborhood that covers like our city and the two cities next to us. That is not the county newspaper, right? Okay, so we have w- reading a physical piece of newspaper, like yes. an actual paper uh, printed thing. They drop it or sure makes you old. They yeah. drop it on everyone's driveway in three cities and the amount of people that I here that don't read the thing and they they don't know what's going on around them in their city is very high and um they don't have a very good online presence so i choose to read it by hand i you know no no shame or or nothing against you there but uh it is reading a physical newspaper is absolutely an old thing i I discussed this topic with my parents actually because my mom listens to the podcast yeah. yeah. Hi, hi, mom. Hi, hi mom. Uh, and, hi, mom. Uh, yeah. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. Uh, the it, we were having a discussion about what we do that's old, and my dad's like, "Well, I still read the newspaper." Yeah. And my mom's like, "Yeah, you subscribe to multiple newspapers." Oh wow. <laughs> I'm like, subscribed for sure. Old. I'm subscribed. You're subscribed to the New York Times. I think I'm subscribed to the 
county register just to get some news stories and stuff like that that I can't access. Um, but this one is like a local thing and it really only is readable in any format in the paper thing. And the report, you know, the writing's not, uh, uh, what it's not, I'm trying to come up with like what the awards for reporting are, but I can't remember them off the top of my head. Pulitzer. Pulitzer. Yeah, I think that's right. But the, uh, Uh, I think Michael is, and I are only subscribed to the games stuff. So you do get like some amount of articles with that, but it's not the whole paper. But I'm, we have a, we have an LA Times subscription, so. Oh. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, Okay. Well, so inspired by that question, I wanted to throw at you something that I'm going to call a retro question, but it's not necessarily a name a thing that is a thing that is retro it is more along these lines and this is something that happened to me this week someone laughed near me uh this past weekend at a kids soccer game they had a deep loud uh i wouldn't say piercing but it was a it was a laugh that cut through the crowd in a manner that triggered in me a visceral reaction in which I could picture the great fairy fountains from Ocarina of Time and the great fairy laugh, you know, when she throws her head back in the great fairy fountain. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I literally thought it was identical. My brain took over. I could only picture that in my head for minutes at a time. So the retro question of this week, is there a sound that you hear? that triggers a reaction in you where you think of a game. Absolutely. I have this one queued up because it's sitting next to me on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Our child has a toy um, on, uh, it was the crib arch, you know, the, the arch that goes over a crib. It's got toys dangling from it. One of the toys on the arch sounds exactly like the, there's a Korok nearby noise from uh breath of the wild ah interesting and every time i hear it i'm like who's playing zelda i've noticed that in recent years a lot of uh i I might even blame apple for this a lot of sounds just like a lot of apps and everything else have become homogenized into like a a more uh softer similar palette you know so like notification sounds are so similar between things it's just a question of you know, what pitch it's at, you know? Mm-hmm. But there's also definitely a lot of people using like open source sound libraries to get oh, sounds good point. that are royalty yeah. free. Those are a thousand percent more accessible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. It's probably even that. Very cool. JJ, you're up. I don't have a great one for this. I don't know if this is going to play over the microphone or if this will even work. No, it doesn't. Okay. No. Oh yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Was that yeah. supposed to be an easy button? Uh, no, it's the <laughs> GG button. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't have. A so I I do I do have that same reaction as you. Although it's not necessarily from a game. If somebody tells me GG, I do hear in my head the StarCraft uh, announcer shouting yelling GG. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think that comes from us having gone to Korea and, and watching a game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, watching a couple games. Yeah. Okay, that's our retro question of the week. Welcome back, everybody. Michael and JJ. Hello. 
Uh, wow. It's, yeah, it's been a little bit busy in the world of games uh, around us. And I think we need to talk about, uh, because we talked about it a little bit before, and I have another question about it. But Microsoft and Activision actually closed. I don't know if you saw this. The deal is officially done. Uh, The only bad news is Kotick sticks around until the 1st of January, right? Yeah, at at least, right? The contract for him to not have a immediate $15 million payout, right? Uh, He's already getting an insane amount of money. I don't think they want to give him any more. $700 million worth of stock, I think? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, more. Yeah, more on that later. <laughs> it's closing. It's done. That means Blizzard and Activision and all their games are on Microsoft's payroll now. I think people assume certain things will immediately hit Game Pass. Uh, things like Call of Duty, right? Anything to get people to subscribe to Game Pass that's not already there. Mm-hmm. I was wondering how deep you think the well goes into companies like Blizzard, though, who have their own subscription models for things like WoW or paid programs like, Di- like I think you played Diablo 4 still, like <laughs> battle, some, yeah. battle Passes in Diablo 4. What do you think? Do you think WoW or Diablo are headed to Game Pass? Like, what does that mean for, for Blizzard as a company? Because we've been, we've been playing their games a long time and... If WoW Classic is free, I might have to reevaluate how much I play Octopath. I feel like they wouldn't necessarily make it free, but maybe they'll come up with a way to sign into it through your Game Pass account. Right? Yeah, so so give, you, give you an option that your profile will just seamlessly merge with your Blizzard profile so that when you launch it, it pulls your credentials and away you go. So I think due to the nature of Battle.net, right, there is going to be some period of time before anything like that can happen. But I think that that's probably an end goal, right? Is like get all that stuff that's sequestered on Battle.net onto Microsoft's connected whatever it is, right? Mm, It might be Battle.net, honestly. And maybe it is. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) But I know that there's a, like, that would be a goal that Microsoft has. However... That takes money and time to do all that work. How in how how much return are you getting of porting like StarCraft Remastered to to Game Pass? Maybe right. uh, you would get some there because people that didn't buy it. I really worry about the return. People that didn't buy it aren't going to buy it on Game Pass either. They're just well, no. But it if, on, if like it's on Game it Pass, it would be free, right? You know, they don't get do any some... money by having people play it. They want you to buy it, right? No, that like is there's, there's no transactions in that game, right? Which is versus why like Diablo Four, where they can then sell you the battle passes. Well, so, but a Game Pass has tons of games that you pay just to play, right? Like, sure, yeah. yeah. So it, StarCraft it, would be a good example. Like, wow, actually, for me, I heard people. This is a question I'm asking you guys specifically because I heard and read people slobbering over the idea that WoW would just be free on Game Pass. And I couldn't think of a reason why it would be, actually. I was trying to yeah. fish for this because, to I am, me, I, I am mathematically, it that. makes absolutely yeah. no sense for something they're already trying to ch- charge, what is it, $20 a month for, to then add it to a thing that already only costs $20 a month. If you're Microsoft, you're then losing 
money be, by putting it, be it on foolish. There. It would be very foolish. There are still somehow millions of people playing WoW. I don't know that they're at the like 10, 15 million highs like they were back, you know, several years ago. Uh, who knows? But there now. are still I think they stopped reporting numbers. They did because they're down from the peaks, right? Yeah. But even if you have two million, one and a half million people times twenty dollars, that's twenty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are like giving that to every person on Game Pass is just a record, a a recipe to wreck all the WoW servers immediately, yeah. right? And then get very little long term gain out of it. Uh, for the you know versus the twenty million dollars you can get if you just keep things the way they are. Unless, oh, unless you open it up for new signups through Battle Pass for a limited time, get new people in, and then after three months or whatever, the if, charges start. <laughs> if the, you have Game counter, Pass, you get the to counter play argument to, level to that 20. is that I believe that is already the case. I believe yeah. you can play World of Warcraft through like level twenty or forty or something for free right now. Ah, uh, okay, so yeah, never mind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you may end up being right, Michael. Maybe they do something like that or give you, you know, credits or something. You can buy credits with your Battle Pass subscription. I could see, I could see a, a game, uh, Xbox Game Pass subscriber gets X one month amount of, of tokens free, per year yeah. or whatever that pay for game time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff that they could do, right? I, one thing I think that will happen, uh, Microsoft unlike blizzard has been interested in putting their stuff on every platform available yeah it's They've been, been interesting this. to hear all these like the a lot of the antitrust stuff was solved by the fact that he, they were saying look our goal is to literally make every game playable everywhere what will happen except, and except will happen on sony platforms <laughs> look you know all the platforms that will have us is what microsoft will say right uh, sony is not interested yeah. in having them i'm sure uh, but what will happen soon is like they're going to put Diablo 4 on Steam. There's a Steam page for that already up. You can yeah. like go find that. They're going to put probably like the latest uh, Call of Duty hasn't been on Steam for a while, I think. Right. They're going to bring that back. They're going to put like Crash Bandicoot. Right. That's like a recent game that came out. They'll probably put that on Steam and probably Game Pass. Yeah, it's, right? it's really those Tony funny. Hawk games. Those recent Tony Hawk games that Blizzard bought the it's, developer of isn't it just that will come isn't it just within the last three years that we've gone through everyone was on steam then literally everyone said no more we're all making our own stores and ea and activision and blizzard and ubisoft and rockstar and 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 they all made their own stores and and then epic popped up and some of them went to epic but most of them didn't and now we're back to microsoft threw its weight into the ring and said every game should be everywhere and now uh everything has collapsed back in on itself i don't understand how this happened in three years uh it's you are forgetting how long stuff like origin and you play but they've been around but they weren't they weren't required no they weren't required though you could go buy games right like they didn't delist all this call of duty stuff for for a while even though they had them on their other stores they didn't delist like you can still get apex on steam even though it's an origin or whatever ea play or whatever game yeah because origin has like shut down now uh well there they isn't have their own thing anymore, now, right? right because they went back they have their own it's a new thing called ea whatever which you also yeah. get through game pass by the way 
I don't know how they're making money there. Who's who's losing? Well, money I mean, on they're that? making money because Microsoft is paying them like hundred yeah. million dollars to get yeah. their stuff on, yeah. right? Yeah. So they just decided to insert themselves as the middleware layer to get all the tracking data and your, you know, user stuff to sell all that stuff, right? That's just what they yeah. decided, rather than attempt to recoup the thirty percent cut of zero because no one buys it from their store. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm I think I I think wow is the most interesting question because, you know, it, you could see a world where they're like, okay, you know, wow's on Battle.net. Do we put wow on Steam and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. like sell monthly subscriptions through Steam? Why not? We're still getting we're getting a cut, right? You're not getting 100% of that money, but you're getting some and that's better than no money, which is what we're getting if people aren't getting it through Battle.net. Is that worth it? I don't know, right? Yeah, and then I think you're totally right. Like I, I don't see how it would be possible based on what they've been doing with like Starfield and some of this other stuff that they wouldn't just say Call of Duty day one free. Yeah, right? yeah, it has to be, has to be. Okay, uh, Epic, Telltale, Unity, uh, the list goes on. I think there have been a couple others since I wrote this list a week ago. Layoffs. Layoffs, 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 all the time, everywhere, layoffs. Yep, seems like a pretty rough time uh, to be a game developer, and that sucks. I don't understand. Sounds like, to me... There's a ton of amazing games that just came out. Now all the studios are downsizing, I guess. I don't know what the... Overwork from... Or whatever. Overproduction from COVID? Like where they were trying to catch up, and now they don't need as many people? Maybe did they did they just hire people on for project work instead of well that's long term kind of how games seems to work in in many yeah. cases I, I think that's always the case right and when a game releases and then goes into maintenance mode or whatever they yeah cut a lot of staff that's but very some of them common. sound some some of them sound pretty bad like uh, Telltale's basically laying everyone off I mean I think for a second time. couple games have been well first off that's that Telltale company is not even the same company right they sold the name to some people who mm-hmm. used to work there yeah and then they hired a bunch of people and then now they didn't make it again and like you know their latest game that came out bombed right so it's right. like well that's a all right you see how that goes right yeah, yeah. hey it's andy i don't often interrupt the podcast without saying some sort of technical issue is happening but i wanted to interrupt this story real quick before we talked about harebrained schemes because Another story, as often happens to us, came out the next day about Harebrained and Paradox and their relationship dissolving, as well as a few other things. And I think it's no secret that JJ and I really like this company and the games they've produced. And I don't think my frustration with this situation from the outside, obviously, is probably worse on the inside really captures how we feel about a company like this being put in a terrible position. And I think next week we will talk more about Harebrain's situation, hopefully what they're going to get out of the split with Paradox. And um, maybe we can even talk about Lamplighter's League. So uh, listen on for the past when we didn't know that what we were talking about was actually probably going to happen. 
and um, know that we're going to cover this more because we think Hairbrain deserves it as a company. Uh, I mean, you know, Andy, this is more related to us, but it sounds like uh, this past summer, Hairbrain schemes got hit by a huge layoff as well. Like oh, I missed 80%. that one. 80%? Yeah. Okay. The, the word at that time was that their pitch for Battletech 2 had been denied by Paradox, which is infuriating to me. Yeah. After they spent so long talking up Paradox um, as how they were going to be a partner that really like expanded their games. And they, you know, they, Hairbrain did some great games before, not to say that Battletech, which is one of our favorite games of the year that it came out. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm wasn't great but like all that before um this you know lamplighters yeah. league I, do you know what their their recent game was called lamplighters league lamplighters uh, league because i said it and uh, it has been written down by paradox as a complete loss they have just like that they've so, given up on that game. so if your job is to be the 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 uh producer the releaser the place that uh puts out information about games you're trying to sell uh you should probably make sure people have heard of it i would say that uh hairbrain got the short end of the stick on this one because i used to get emails weekly from paradox games about all the stuff that they were releasing all the time into Mm -hmm. our podcast inbox and over the years it has trickled into california drought circa two years ago they, I didn't even know the Lamplighters League existed or had come out. There was also a, a the same play, uh, source of information where I was getting all this about the those layoffs that supposedly happened. Again, this is not like corroborated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, we're saying that at around the same time, there was a changeover at the top of Paradox in terms of like the the management there. And so maybe the management that was friendly to them and, you know, invested in all that changed over or something like that. And the new management decided they didn't want to do this anymore, which is just sad. Yeah. Well, what a travesty. I mean, we'll never see another game like Battletech. Not for years. Yeah. Years and years. Really depressing. That's too bad. Okay. Well, uh, let's turn it around and laugh about something else. Have either of you been to the Netherlands? I think maybe I was there for like a day at some point. I have not. But okay. it's been like 15 years or more. You know a famous person from the Netherlands. Vincent van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Sure. He, yeah. The man has... has no, he doesn't have, but they have a museum. <laughs> it's not his museum. It's a museum about him, I guess. It's dedicated for him. I don't think it's just his artwork. But anyway, have you heard of this story yet that I'm about to tell you about the Van Gogh Museum? No. Okay. All right. Good. I'm very happy to relate to you the story that I read before this that uh, picked up my mood after thinking about a lot of these uh, down downer times. Uh, something I couldn't believe happened. The Van Gogh Museum decided a couple months, years ago, that they were going to hold an exhibit. Van Gogh styled paintings, not not his paintings, but other people's modern paintings in the Van Gogh style of Pokemon. 
the universe, I guess, not just every Pokemon, right? You can look this up. There are just uh, Google Van Gogh. Well, try not to read the news story, but if you look up Van Gogh Pokemon. I'm uh, not doing any research during the podcast. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, there's some very cute images of, like, a Pikachu in a Van Gogh painting. Very funny. Uh, they had this thing. Let me uh, let me paint a picture for you. The Van Gogh Museum holds this special exhibit. There are lines out the door, ready to come into the exhibit. The museum opens, and the videos show hardly anyone out looking at the new paintings. Instead, where are the lines, gentlemen? I will just have to assume there's some kind of Pokemon bullshit merch involved. <laughs> I was going to say the gift shop. <laughs> the gift shop. There was apparently much exclusive merchandise, including a Van Gogh painting Pokemon card of Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> and there are videos of grown men and adults shoving each other to pile into this tiny Van Gogh Museum <laughs> gift shop, fighting over Pokemon cards in the midst of the Netherlands. I loved and laughed at it uh and immediately i guess the pokemon company said don't worry we're going to uh print more of these so that we can devalue them try and save the poor museum yeah that is what causes what causes this you guys what causes this i don't get it i mean you know andrew you know exactly what it is yeah (sighs) don't be acting like you don't know it's people trying to flip it to make a quick buck because they think it's oh, rare yeah. and scarce. It's just the same. It's the same thing. Scalping. Since yeah. magic I know what causes everything, you know? I, I know Sneakers. what causes scalping, but I don't understand, like, the lengths the scalping has gotten to, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's hard out there. I saw a article on a social media website of grown men fist fighting to get into a Costco before opening in order to buy allocated alcohol. Oh no. What type yeah. was this like whiskey or something? Yeah. Some like super rare, like two bottles in, you know, the state kind of thing. And some people like throwing full on punches and stuff. It's just really like kid stuff, man. It is so bad for everything. Yeah. It, it's uh but like good I don't companies understand. for doing the right thing here right being like uh, yeah. yeah we're gonna make like 50 million of these so you know i understand no, there no is, rush, guys there is scarcity in the world and we're gonna talk about it in a second with like a game thing again uh that's not pokemon i understand there's scarcity in the world uh you can't produce a million of everything and just hope they all sell right like you have to produce an amount that will in theory sell close to out if not completely out the idea of the scarcity coming from the scalping this happened in toys um and has now pretty much as far as i can tell i should get ken on to talk about it or maybe we'll talk about it on carbon scoring it seems like that has somewhat collapsed the toy scalping uh where everyone was just buying every star wars toy that came out for years um because now they've realized like they're just holding them and no one's buying them anymore uh but it's it's odd to me that like whiskey and other it's expanded out from collectorship markets to 
merch at a Van Gogh museum. I think it takes, I think the thing that you correctly noted there is that it took years for this problem to resolve itself, right? The, the people thought it continued to be valuable for a long time. It just takes like the timeline of the product into account there, right? Yeah. Whiskey takes many, many years to create. And so it takes a long time for those hoarders and people doing that stuff to realize that their stuff isn't worthless because they keep making more, right? <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, a paper card or a Pokemon card or whatever, the Pokemon company can snap their fingers and create 100,000 of them, right? Right. For, you know, little cost effectively. Um, it, and I mean, magic is in the same place where there's a bunch of cards that are worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars and they could snap their fingers and recreate millions of them if they want, if they wanted, right? But, you know, they don't because the reserve list or some dumb thing. Right? Well, it's funny, though, because even then people have come up with ways to evaluate the older ones. It's like, well, this is a first printing, right? That happens in comics. Like, well, this yeah. one's a first printing. So that's worth more. So interesting. Uh, this leads me. This is a 20 minute lead in to, <laughs> to talking about the email that I got today that we all already talked about, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the analog 3d. One of the most notorious companies for, uh, making sure to have low print runs of things in the gaming world. Uh, for those that don't know, analog makes things like the analog pocket, probably most famous for what the super NT or the NT mini, uh, FPGA based retro consoles that play old cartridges, but are new production mm-hmm. uh, electronics and like use like high end, high quality material, high yeah, high end, high end yeah. right? Like uh, the analog pocket costs two hundred dollars, two hundred twenty dollars, which honestly, not that bad considering uh, the NTs, the Super NT and the NT Mini were much more ridiculous in price. I think the NT Mini it, towards the end was eking towards $500, I think. Yeah, I was going to say one of them was like four something. So, yeah, that sounds right. Um, I mean, just the screen on a pocket alone is probably worth you know, two, 200 bucks. Uh, if you've ever tried to replace your iPhone screen or your Android screen, y- you know how those get. Uh, well, they're doing an N64. How exciting i think it's exciting the funny uh response to this that i saw was wow it's so great that analog is doing so well that they can afford to be remaking the bad consoles too (laughs) (laughs) you know uh it made me giggle a bit i'm not gonna defend the technical the technical things that come with that but their their whole shtick has always been to have the console that lasts longer with less power. And the N64, while not as good as the other things at its time, is still memorable to a lot of people. And whether or not it was a bad quote-unquote console oh, doesn't it, mean that people don't like it. This is someone being completely flippant. I don't want to attempt to yeah. make judgments. No, I, I know, but a lot of people, I think it is now, it is in vogue among retro gamers to bag on the N64 as hard as possible. Like, like it's not cool to say you like the N64 anymore, right? Sure, but that they can only do that with the 
the benefit of being able to look back, right? Like at the, the time, N64 what the N64 was fine. Did was, the controller sucked. Was incredible. Sure, yeah. I mean, but, at the time, you could see that like Quest 64 was a terrible piece of garbage. But then you have stuff that's like you know stands the test of time. Stuff like Ocarina, Mario uh, 64, stuff like that, right? And and those games are just as janky. And who cares, right? Who cares? No one is out here arguing that Mario 64 was bad, right? Because they right. can't. It's right. like it's a transcendent piece of media, right? Like yeah. It's like a mind-blowing moment in video games. I think this will sell well because I think there is a closeted a lot of people that really love the N64. I even am one of them. I think my nostalgia for staying up late and with a, a guide and playing Ocarina, right, and and uh vigilante 8 and perfect dark and 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 you know like god that console had nfl blitz man they even had a starcraft port on the n64 okay it's a console that could do yeah. a lot i don't know that that's the game you want to be calling out the what the starcraft port not yeah not good kind of bad. I, didn't, I didn't say it was good i'm just saying they managed <laughs> oh, okay. to port starcraft to this it, it, it happened though it happened it did it they got it onto the dang cartridge man uh i am the target audience for this and i'm not gonna buy it so i want to know why because I, I know your reasons for not having bought it in the past which i think is reasonable and understandable but I feel like you've turned a leaf since then. So what is the, what's the new Andrew's take? Uh, I would have bought this in the past. I think the new me is concerned with bloat in the, in the collecting, right? And in the trying to be focused. And while I still have, uh, well, I have the analog pocket, right? I have that. I have a DS. I have, a lot of handheld stuff. My focus now is to really like try to pare down what I have and expanding it and looking at something like this that I don't, I I sold my N64 a while ago and I don't actually regret it. Right. Like I could have held on to it and I kept the games I really cared about. We talked about this before and I, I actually was listening, I think years ago and we could, we could re all reevaluate our positions on this. Maybe we should. Years ago, I said, I didn't really understand why you'd keep a game around you couldn't play. And I still don't know if I agree with people that go get games graded. I mean, it kind of just doesn't make any sense to me. But at the same token, it's your thing. Do whatever you want with it. But that was years and years and years ago before emulation was what it is today. There's no concern, I don't think, but maybe either of you know. Is there any concern really with other than the DS keeping games at this point alive, right? In in so much as like, oh, we got to keep the physical media because there's, you know. No, I don't think so. ROMs have kind of saved games in general, right? I don't know about games in general, but certainly games of a certain age, right? There's... I think the idea that old games are popular wouldn't exist without ROMs, right? It, yeah. That just wouldn't. I mean, be Michael the case. Michael Agreed. ROMs yeah. relatively heavily, <laughs> not not a ton, but you you used to ROM a bit. Yeah, yeah, a lot more than I do now. But yeah, I think uh, I think ROMs probably got people into games 
um, that they wouldn't otherwise have because of a lack of access to them. Um, in most cases, I think because too much time had passed. Uh, but you have to think that at least some subset of the people who got into games through ROMs are collectors and so would then go out and want to try and find a physical copy of the game that they were playing. But to me, and I don't mean for them, right? I mean to me personally now, uh, this many years later, I don't anymore feel like if I have, which is true, my original inbox Zelda games here, that I value because I played them for hours and multiple times. I can't count the amount of times I beat Majora's Mask. I don't know why. I really like that one. Um, I can still have Majora's Mask here, but if I was here now and I still have my N64, I don't think I would prefer to play it in the N64 versus on my Steam Deck. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the convenience and the, you know, the the ability to be able to use it, you know, in more situations is important. So right? I think, on it, I mean, a lot of these things now, to me now, are, is that a shelf piece that I can put out that, you know, and how many of those do I really need? Because games don't need anymore to be the thing that is not in a box on your shelf, right? They used to be. I don't know. I don't feel like it's as maybe maybe it felt pretentious before when people were buying copies to display because you they should be played, but you don't need to do that anymore to play them. Like the, the emulation is on everything. You could go get a Mister. You could get a Steam Deck. You could get a Rog Ally. You could get a a, a Miu Mini. You could get a. You, you know, can just play it on your phone, man. Like your iPhone has an emulator. The Android's phones all have emulators. Yeah. Like you could just play it there. Yeah. That market has expanded so widely uh, and so supported. I think possibly by the idea of like I could collect just the things that interest me. And so my reaction to it is that's really cool that it can take an N64 cart and upscale it to 4K hardware plug it into a tv and it just works right but i don't i don't i don't need it finally i did miss out yeah, on getting I, I did miss out on getting one of those see-through analog pockets that i wanted though you know i, I think it's good you know i think you're right that it's going to sell crazy i think analog is also really good at gauging the excitement of their audience and will make just not enough of them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, and then they'll be, you know, oh, will we remake it? I don't know, maybe. And then they remake it, but it's like a different color now. And so uh, now the other ones are you can, right? You can be guaranteed this first one will be a very similar shade to the original gray, right? And then they'll do the clear ones that are very similar shades to the original clear ones. Yeah, that not green, but kind of green one, mm-hmm. right? What they call that? Jungle green? Jungle green, I think, is what it was. Jungle green was worth the most. My controller sold for $70. Donkey Kong Country, not Donkey Kong 64. Not a good game. No. It has reached, it has reached meme status at this point. Yeah. 
Yeah, not good. I I I don't know. I think that's really the corner that I've turned recently is like I don't emulate tons of stuff. It's not like I'm every night on my Steam Deck emulating something, but the idea that I needed to collect and hold something in case I wanted to play it and the idea that like I should grab these FPGA consoles in case I want to play the games is just seems so unnecessary now, thankfully to me. To me. I mean, like if you're a collector of these things, they make Here's- a lot of sense. Here's the thing that I think is great about these, right? These things are high quality. They are they are expensive, as you have noted before. And I think this one will probably be a new bar. I think it'll that, be at least $500. Yeah, I couldn't see how it could be less. And the, uh, the thing that's good about it is it guarantees there will be some thing that exists that will be able to play these these carts into, you know, the more distant future. And that's mm-hmm. good for people yeah. that want and feel they need to be able to play the cart. I think right? that if you were a person and this is cool now that is just so hyper focused on the N64, right? Like that's your thing. You need to get one of these things. But I don't know it expands past that anymore. Thankfully. Yeah, I think you you nailed it there. Yeah. And I don't I'm not doing that. So it's nice to uh, feel focused when you see something like this right before I definitely didn't, I, I wanted an NT and I, and I had one and I ended up selling it and I had a super NT and I traded it. And you know, I had, I just, I had so many things. I had super Nintendos. I have two NESs. I have this, that, and the other. And it's like, it's unfocused and it feels good to, to react to something. And so, you know, just if you're thinking about stuff like this, maybe, reevaluate i don't know that's my thought uh you know what uh n64 games did not have maybe i should ask michael uh dlc dlc that they did not and you know we've we've uh talked in the past about um the nature of releasing a complete game and just letting it be that yeah we talked about uh, what last week or the week before about patching games uh when when we were talking about the uh AC patch yeah yeah and how much you know how much should a patch be but i think what uh you know in the in that same sort of news vein i was a little surprised in the last week to see an announcement come out from the producer and director of tears of the kingdom um blockbuster game that it was that dropped earlier this year uh they were being interviewed by telegraph and they came out and said that there are no plans to release any sort of dlc for tears of the kingdom that the game is the game and they hope that people enjoy it for what it is oh that's cool here yeah and i you know i have in this day and age i have a lot of respect for a game developer saying you know what we're good with this like something that big, sure, they could print money by making some DLC and releasing it or, you know, breadcrumbing it out in front of players over the course of a year. But so they decided we're proud of what we made. It's going to stand on its own. Uh, Breath of the Wild had like uh, DLC costumes and stuff like that. They're not going to do any of that stuff, huh? No, I think Breath of the Wild had two big they DLCs. Had, they had big DLCs and they included little things alongside them if you bought both the DLC right, pack yes. and, or whatever. There's like little 
oh, you get this costume or you could buy it separately, you know. Huh. I think that's cool. I think that's great. I mean, especially for a game that big to just be like, no, 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 you're good. You got it all. Yeah. Here's your sandbox. Go nuts. I mean, from what I've heard, I haven't played the game yet, but from what I've heard, uh, if you decide you want to, you know, make vehicles or whatever, you're just going to play that game forever anyway. Yeah, I was going to say with the customizability with that stuff in there, maybe there's nothing, they decided there's nothing we could sell that wouldn't be cooler than the stuff people are already building. (laughs) Cool. Uh, I mean, I wish, I I bet, you know, there are more games out there that aren't getting DLC that are just smaller games. Although, 100%. Although, I mean, even smaller quote unquote games like Spiritfarer and stuff had, I don't know if it counted as DLC. They were definitely like patches that added more and more to the game. What about that versus DLC? We didn't really cover that in talking about uh, uh, Armored Core, but like, what if you know your 1.0 comes out and uh you really only get the full game at like 1.3 thoughts and i'm not talking about uh mmos or whatever where the whole point is to keep you playing forever and they need to give you more stuff to do but like i think it depends i think it depends on what you mean right you know there would be there's sort of there's different ways you can make this argument right what if Baldur's gate came out and they were like, that's it. That's 1.0. And people got to the end and they're like, huh, that's interesting. It doesn't seem to quite have an ending. And then they said, well, in 1.1, you'll get the like the remainder of the missing parts of the story. Did you just describe early access? No, because there's a difference between that, early that, access and, that and game did like go in early access. And they had no, one. Absolutely. Act, right. They had act one. That makes sense. Right. You know, you're getting a 0.8 version, not a 1.0. But once you hear a 1.0, you would expect to finish it and be done. If you wanted to thoughts or am I, am I stretching this too far? Yeah. I, I'm not aware of games doing that. Right. There, there definitely are a lot more games that do the second thing where, you know, cyberpunk had this recently, right. Where in the most recent DLC release, they just r- completely overhauled all the skills, all, a lot of the missions, a lot of the stuff in the original game also such that, you know, if you wanted to, play that original game without that dlc you know you or without even if you didn't buy that dlc you got all those changes now and so you kind of can't go back right yeah. yeah um yeah cd project red by the way uh 10 10 10 or 15 percent of their staff recently laid off and uh and i think they just laid off a bunch of people at molasses flood this week too project red they're unionized too which is weird i don't hear about that very often hmm. yeah, i mean i think large portions of the workforce at ubisoft uh in france europe. are yeah. unionized as well yeah 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 which is why you don't hear about ubisoft europe as much as <laughs> <laughs> maybe and the uh misbehavior at the other ones you know what i mean oh boy think, well who knows yeah yeah. Uh Yeah. I uh I lack a good transition f- to go from DLC to shucking. Is that the that's the transition that's, <laughs> that's attempting? The, I think that might just end up being the transition. <laughs> that's just the hard the hard cut. 
All right. Well, uh, are you guys uh, fans of oysters? Uh, Michael, go first. Yeah. Michael, describe why you like oysters. Oh, um, there's something to me about the uh, that kind of fresh brininess of a good oyster mm. that I really like. And then, you know, you add you add all the classic toppings, the mignonet, the uh, lemon juice, the Tabasco, whatever you like on your oyster. If you like fresh oysters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, a Andrew, for oyster, toppings, oyster person like. or. So uh, until five years ago, I didn't eat any of those types of shelled animals. I had other shelled animals. However, uh, I tried mussels a while ago, like a long while ago, and I thought, you know, this ain't so bad. But I still couldn't get over the fact that for an oyster, you just sort of swallow the whole thing real quick. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I didn't really understand why that was a food I would want to eat. And I, I often say I'll try anything, you know, really. Uh, but I something about the idea that you put all this stuff on it right like you or dump not to be garlic. fair okay sure yeah, yeah yeah but when you watch the pros uh i <laughs> michael knows he's one of the pros because this story ends with michael and friend of the pod matt uh but you watch them and they they have their own ritual every little oyster is a ritual of exactly one dot of this exactly one pinch of that exactly this and exactly that and then i just shoot the whole thing down my gullet uh i didn't get it and I still don't quite get it, but I did end up saying, all right, fine. I got to get over this and try it, Oyster. Um, so we had a little party and it was like, when we have this party, I want you uh, experts, go get the good oysters, go get all the stuff and we'll do oysters and I'll try a couple. Uh, I tried them. I thought they were okay and I don't despise anyone that likes them. I get it in terms of you do taste more than I thought you did. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't go out doing it, but the wife, uh, quite adores them. So oftentimes if we go to a special meal, we will order a small plate and I will eat one and she will eat the other four. <laughs> sure. So, uh, that, that's a I'm long not, story. I didn't think it was going to be that yeah, long. You really, you really took your time explaining that you are not fully against them, but not all the way in the tank. So, uh, hot tank. Cause see there, there's sea. I see, I see what you did there ocean tank uh the so i'm closer to andy than i am michael on this spectrum i'm not a big oyster lover there's something about the texture of it coming down as i eat it that i don't like that much and i don't dislike it either i like the tastes i like you know that lemon flavor or the hot sauce or whatever but I just, yeah, I'll have like two, three, maybe four, and now we're pushing it, and then I'm kind of done. Okay. Yeah, that's about where uh, I'm at. So, uh, as a fun family activity, we went to the <laughs> Carlsbad Aqua Farm recently. And if no one knows what that is, I don't blame you. I didn't know what it was. Okay. It has been in operation since like 1950s, apparently. An actual um, aquatic farm? Sounds yes, like? where they mm-hmm. grow oysters and mussels. How are there? Uh, well what are the reviews on theirs? Because some some people are very and and not so much with mussels. Mussels are kind of mussels, as far as I can tell. Uh, because mussels are frequently cooked. 
Yeah. So, so you have like bigger and smaller, but they, but they're also, there's no like, well, East coast muscles versus West coast muscle, you know, like, eh, sure. Uh, so as oysters, a though, non-oyster it's like, connoisseur, it's going to be hard for me to answer that question, but okay. here's what I can tell you, right? Uh, uh-huh. the oysters that this place makes are gigantic. Ooh. If you think like, oh, these oysters are like, it's so, it's so cute how these small little shells and like these little things and you just kind of like boop and they're gone. What if the oyster, the meat part was the size of your hand? Oh my, that sounds like too much. Ooh. <laughs> I felt like I needed a fork and knife for yeah. some of these. Uh, are they flavor wise, super briny, like the blue point ones that Michael likes? Um, so they're definitely very different. Uh, we were, uh, as part of the tour, they show you, you know, how they make them and a whole bunch of other stuff. As part of the tour at the end, you are given six oysters, three, uh, from in this case, British Columbia and three from Carlsbad where we were. Mm. And so you could taste them back to back and there is a noticeable difference in the flavor, right? Not only are the Carlsbad ones all uniformly bigger, <laughs> but also they taste significantly different. Mm. um also i am told by the people there which again hard to know uh they are also cheaper uh because they don't sell you know they don't make that many this place isn't gigantic it's pretty small okay um but you can buy them from them for like 30 dollars for a dozen which is, is good? a good a good deal okay uh the the thing I was quoted was like six oysters at a restaurant nearby is like twenty five dollars. Yeah, so it's they're half effectively they're cleaned and ready. And right, and the other thing you got to do is you get to shuck these oysters yourself. So both the uh, these case they were from British Columbia and the Carlsbad one. They show you, they give you a little knife and a glove, and they you know show you how to do it, and then you get to open them yourself. Mm-hmm. This knife, by the way, you could not cut butter with this thing. It is so dull. <laughs> oh, it is. It's made for one purpose and one purpose only: stabbing and slicing that thing yep. open. Um, Shove and twist. That's right. Uh, and doing it is way harder than it looks. I have okay, never so done I've this never before. Shucked an oyster? Do they are they attached to stuff and they have a bunch of seaweed in them like a mussel, or are they more clean no. from the get go? No. Oysters are uh, oysters are shut completely. They are like they're filter feeders. But they do not uh, latch on to things the way muscles do with like those okay. little braids. Okay. All right. So you've set the um, stage. Go ahead. Go ahead. How do you open this so thing? You, so you get this knife and there's a certain point at the hinge in the back of the muscle that you got to hit or sorry, muscle uh, oyster <laughs> that you got to hit and jam down hard into. And I've never like I didn't really get a good sense for it because I mean, I only had six. So it's not like a huge amount. Um and then at some point, you just got to make this twist move and that eventually just pries it open just enough to let any amount of air in. And then like all the water comes pouring out, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, once you've gotten that part, then you just got to uh, sort of flatten the knife over and go along a certain side. It's the I think it's the right side, because like a human heart to the muscles that the muscles from the oyster that attach the two shells together and pull it closed are on a one side every time. And so you just got to slide the thing or the knife over there until you hit that muscle and just make it disconnect. And then the shell just pops right off like nothing. Huh. Uh, and then you have to take the knife and they called it the Carlsbad flip. Um, but it's just like you reach under the bottom of it and disconnect the other side of that muscle so that you can the oyster will slide out. 
and then at this, during that process, flip it over. Um, they say the flipping it over makes it look prettier for Instagram. So that's what the lady is like. Hey, if you want your muscles to look really good and pretty, like they might serve you in a restaurant, flip this over this way. All the restaurants do this. And they were right. If you didn't flip it over, it looked kind of like weird and flat and watery and you flip it over and then it looks all plump and juicy on the top. So there you go. Um, they were pretty good. Um, but you know, I, I can't eat this many, <laughs> uh, oysters, um, but it was a really, really fun experience. And, you know, learning how they make them and how they grow them uh, is really interesting. The The tour guide said this is the only one of these aqua farms within 300 miles. Wow. The next really? closest one being in up in San Francisco somewhere. For, for oysters specifically? Uh, I guess. Okay. But I guess the... The thing about oysters is they need a lot of water, right? Movement of water in and out. And so they this need to be is, near like a like a outlet. Uh, of, this one of happens a river to be near what used to be a power plant and is now a desalinization plant. So there's a lot of water moving through there. Huh. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and as a result of this, like the high volume of water and like the processes they use to sort of like uh, breed the oysters and sort of like speed make them you can they can grow them bigger and faster than a lot of other oyster farms um, very cool you know they put so very interesting uh and you know through their expertise in water and all this stuff they have now also started growing wasabi what oh food. yeah because you need a ton of water for wasabi you need a ton of water and they have like a closed loop uh thing with fish below it and like running water and like that's right hydroponics and stuff that are trying to grow wasabi and they said they have some but they're just not sure how good it is yet so they're you know it takes a, a long time it takes like it does yeah a year i think uh all right well if people want to know more about shucking or they have an idea for our retro question sound visceral reaction i don't know where would that go they can send that to podcast at wewergamers.com, an email address that we do totally check regularly. Uh, you yeah, can also, check it regularly. Don't answer it regularly. No, no, but we that's check what, it. Andy, that's what he said. Why are you contradicting <laughs> me? <laughs> but no, we do like to compile emails every once in a while and do an email episode, respond to the good ones. Mm-hmm. So make them good. Make them good. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you can also find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, We Were Gamers, and all those places. And uh, find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at We Were Gamers. I didn't, uh, we didn't talk about COTC, man. I don't know. We don't uh, have time to fit it in every time. Well... It's just become an MMO to me. Like, I don't have any way to distinguish it other than the fact that I'm not playing with anyone. But, like, I'm talking to you guys about it all day, every day. So, it feels like an MMO in that respect. Like, where are you leveling at? What are you doing? Like, same exact thing. And, like, the release pacing and everything to me feels like... And, like, if you're going to talk about an MMO, you got to spend, like, 25 minutes a week going through all the updates. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. I mean, that's, you know, it really is, right? I... I don't understand how it's working for them, but it's working for me. Yeah, win. Yeah, maybe next week after we get the big update and we can talk about all the characters we got in the pull on Renew. Writing it down. It's gonna be it's gonna be one ten pull 
done, right? That's I'm going to get her on seven because I've had a lot of bad luck lately. Seven ten pulls. Oh no, I meant like I've I've paid my dues. I'm getting her on pull number oh, seven. Single pull seven. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I sent you guys a snapshot of uh, some summary bits of stuff we were talking about earlier. From did the, do you still have the, that list before you go of the? Uh, or did you put it in a photo? What did you do with that list of like things we need to start accumulating for the three year anniversary? Because I gotta like map that out. I dusted everything. I don't think uh, I put it in a. Uh, I, I think. It. You know, Andy, just keep collecting the class up seals and yeah. stop dusting them. And I think you'll be fine. Like, yeah, I think that's the big thing. It's not going to kill you because you have, or you will continue to get a lot of them through yeah. continuing to do hunts and whatnot. And then, you know, just keep buying them in your tower recess. It's just right? a question. The gold ones are the hardest to get. So it's a question of how hard I need to work or like when I can start dusting them again. Um, we also didn't talk fantasy football. I got to write that down. Because I should have ranted about the fact that I have no running backs left. Literally one. Oh boy, I'll write that down for next week. Unless you know you you don't you didn't get cut, right? Uh, no, I don't think I will because uh, Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert continue to have the connection that is saving that team. Okay, good. Then I mean, also Kyron Williams did well, so I think I'll be fine this week. Okay, well, we'll get back to it next week. There was too much this week. And I, for some reason, talked about Oyster for, like, way longer than I should have. It's all right. It's worth... It's interesting, so... Interesting to me, anyway. 